0: Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Our text for our sermon is Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. One person values one day above another. Another person values every day the same. Let each person be fully convinced in his own mind. The person who honors a certain day does this for the Lord, and the person who eats does this for the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the person who does not eat does this for the Lord and gives thanks to God. In fact, not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. Indeed, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, he died, rose and lived to be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, In our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 18, we have to go back to last week, to the beginning, when Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, assume the absolute worst and you go off and you talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ about how awful that person is, how rotten it is what they did to you, and you get to the point where the entire church resents and hates that person and sees them as an awful being, and then maybe if you do take the time to chat talk to them, you may find out that you had just misunderstood their words because you didn't take them according to the law in the kindest possible light, and everything will be okay. No, that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. The goal isn't revenge. The goal is to bring your brother to repentance because this hurts their relationship with Christ and with you. And so if they don't repent, then you bring two or three others along, not to bully them, but to try to bring them to repentance. Maybe they see something you don't. Well, after hearing all of that, Peter asked that question in today's lesson. Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother? Up to seven times. If you have, for example, a friend or a relative who has an addiction. And you have given them a roof, but they've stolen for you. So when they fall so that they can pay for that addiction. These words will really sting in the heart. Jesus says up to 77 times. Now, he doesn't mean that as, keep a tally, so you go, there we go, 78, we're done. And again, Jesus in other portions of Scripture tells us to be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes. Maybe for somebody, for example, if they keep stealing from me to pay for an addiction. Maybe I'm gonna, I'll forgive them, but maybe I'll make it much harder for them to steal from me, uh, for example. But we forgive. Now, one of the areas that I have seen in the years I've been in the ministry where people end up thinking and not assuming the best of the person, thinking the person has sinned against them, is in what the big Greek word that we translate into English is adiaphrin. In the Lutheran confessions, our German forefathers used the word "mitteldinge," which is just fun to say because it sounds goofy, but it means middle things. There are a lot of things in scripture that are neither commanded or forbidden. They are gray areas. There was a lot of things in worship and stuff that were commanded in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ, and now they're middle things or indifferent things. They're not indifferent because nobody cares, they're indifferent because God has given us freedom. For example, if you have a COVID virus, maybe you put the offering plate by the door and don't bother passing it around to people. Or maybe you put the Lord's Supper at the end of a worship service instead of near the end. There are a lot of things we do that are indifferent, that are middle things. And yet so often I have seen brothers and sisters in Christ sinning against each other in those. In fact, I can tell you that one of the areas since I've been in the ministry where I could clearly see the devil was working the hardest, where you had going around each other's backs and everything, was a remodeling project that the entire congregation agreed needed to happen. It was an indifferent thing, but it became a way in which the devil got people to sin against each other and hurt relationships. So our sermon theme for today is watch out for each other in indifferent matters, middle things, adiaphron. Paul is writing to the Romans. He's never been to Rome. He'll eventually get there under arrest for being a Christian, but Paul is writing to Romans. And so the epistle of Romans is kind of a let's lay out the whole doctrine of the New Testament church. And when it comes to these middle things indifferent things at Romans 14, verse one, he basically says, those of you who are mature and know better, take those who don't under your wing. Love them, be big brothers and big sisters in Christ, not to bully them into your way, but looking out for them. And it's important for us to understand this because around 60 A.D., if you had been raised a Jew, you were brought up that it was ceremonially unclean, a big time sin to eat a pulled pork sandwich. And then you find out Christ fulfilled that law. Maybe your stomach hadn't been converted yet. Or if you were a Gentile who had been converted and you had been told Christ made things clean and somebody offered you a pulled pork sandwich, you might say, yeah, I love pulled pork sandwiches, but I know that that pig was sacrificed in the temple to a false god so that they could use its guts for soothsaying. I don't feel right eating that. But the food we eat has been made clean in Christ. It's indifferent. If you were a Jew, you had been born and brought up that Saturday, the Sabbath day, was the day you set aside to go to the synagogue and hear the word of God. But many Jews wanting to separate themselves from those who had rejected Christ said, Jesus rose on Sunday. Let's worship the Lord on Sunday. And you know what? The Bible is very clear that Sunday didn't just move the Sabbath day 24 hours later. We're free in those areas. And so Paul begins, as we see our sermon, to watch out for each other in indifferent matters. In verse 5 he says, "...indeed, on the one side a person considers one day better than another, but on the other side another person considers each day the same. Let each person be fully convinced within the boundaries of his own mind." Now our congregation, many years ago, decided we will worship on Sunday... And we set the time at 10.15. But if things change and we decide, well, maybe it would be better because of the shift in our culture to worship Monday night at 7 p.m., we're absolutely free to do that. We're absolutely free to stand up and to sit down in the service or if we wanted to, to lay on our sides on cushions. But Paul says... Let each person be fully convinced within the boundaries of his own mind. Know the reasons why you do what you do. When we mindlessly get up and do it because that's what we've always done, you've lost the reason in an indifferent matter. We stand, for example, in the liturgy when we read the gospel lesson because we're hearing the history of Christ and we stand as if we are before our king. But it's an indifferent thing. But if you don't know that... All that standing and sitting can seem very annoying, can't it? So Paul here says, know for your own mind why you do what you do. Now, there can be different reasons why people do things. Maybe, for example, one person absolutely hates mowing the lawn, but doesn't mind shoveling snow. So they say, in the wintertime, I'll shovel the snow, and somebody else in the church can mow the lawn. But somebody else comes along and says, well, you can shovel the snow, why can't you mow the lawn? I've noticed normally people who do that are busy pointing their finger but not looking at themselves. But how dare we judge what somebody else does in thanks for God if it is neither forbidden or commanded by Scripture. And so Paul says... The one who focuses his thoughts on a particular day is focusing his thoughts in respect to the Lord. And the one who eats is eating in respect to God. In fact, he's giving thanks to God. And the one who does not eat is not eating in respect to the Lord. He also is giving thanks to God. One of the ways I see that Christians choose to not eat out of thanks to God, and not every Christian... But I have served Christians who, when they know it's a communion Sunday, will start fasting at a particular time the day before. And they say having an empty stomach reminds them what it's like to go without. And it reminds them to be grateful of everything God provides, especially forgiveness and salvation in Christ. But if that person who does that were to insist upon that with somebody who's diabetic or hypoglycemic, That would not be to the glory of the Lord, would it? So we don't want to judge what each other does in thanks for God, so long as what we're doing is neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. And so we watch out for each other in indifferent matters. So we do not judge each other's thanks to God. What we do out of thanks for God. Now again back there in verse 5, the Apostle Paul said, let each person be fully convinced within the boundaries of his own mind. If one person says, it's best for me that I set aside Sunday. I come to Bible study, I come to worship, and then when I go home I reflect on those, and I actually do a week's worth of devotions on Sunday because I work six days a week. The Apostle Paul and God's response to such a person is, God bless you. If another person says, I feel way better and it's so peaceful, just setting aside 20 minutes each day on my lunch break and I do my meditations, God says to that person too, God bless you. We do this out of thanks, not out of obligation because we're saved. And the irony is so often like when we come to the word of God out of thanks for God, we're the ones receiving all the benefits because he feeds and nourishes us with the forgiveness of sins. So we don't judge each other's things. We don't make laws where God has not made laws. We watch out for each other in indifferent matters. But there again where Paul says, let each person be fully convinced within the boundaries of his own mind. A person can say, what I've decided to do is what I've decided to do, and it's none of your business. By the way, I've decided we should paint the church fluorescent pink. It's an indifferent matter. Well, that's going to impact the body of Christ, isn't it? And so the Apostle Paul addresses selfishness, that what I do is none of your business. And there is a certain aspect where we don't want to be sticking our noses in each other's business beyond what what the Bible calls us to do. But verse 7 addresses that attitude of what I'm going to do is none of your business absolutely when it comes to Adiaphron or indifferent things. He says, indeed, not one of us lives in respect to himself and not one of us dies in respect to himself. Because whether we are living, then we are always living in regards to the Lord. Or if we are dying, then we are always dying in regards to the Lord. Therefore, whether we are living or dying, we are the Lord's possession. Indeed, this is the very goal for which Christ died and lived so that he would be Lord over both the living and the dead. What Paul is saying here is you can assume this is God's promise to you. He took on human flesh for you. He lived perfectly for you that he could credit you with his perfect obedience to God's holy law. He died for you that he could wash your sins away. And he rose again for you that he could give you new life in him. He sent his Holy Spirit with that message to you, working through things like baptism so that the Holy Spirit would be sealed in your heart. And when he was sealed in your heart, you were connected to Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean that you're only connected to Christ. For I, too, am a member of the body of Christ. We are connected because of Christ to each other in the body that is Christ. So when we're giving thanks and in indifferent matters, we do want to look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If I'm eating a pulled pork sandwich and I know that somebody in the room is upset because they think that that pig was sacrificed so that they could use its intestines for soup, saying, maybe I'll take that sandwich home and eat it not in front of that person because I am connected to that person I don't want to jeopardize their relationship with me in the body of Christ or their relationship with Christ. Whether we are living or dying, we belong to the Lord. For example, Abraham, it's been over 3,500 years since Abraham walked on this earth. But he's still alive. He's still a member of the body of Christ. And so when we do things out of thanks for the Lord, we also look out for each other because whether we are living or dying, we belong to the Lord. Sometimes we just do it naturally because of the Holy Spirit in our heart. But we can forget that when we're doing things out of thanks to God, we're bringing glory to the body of the Lord. And so if we have things like a church remodeling project, we're entitled to our opinions and we should know the reasons for those opinions. But when we start backstabbing each other and everything else, we have a problem, don't we? That's not bringing glory to the body of the Lord. We're doing a remodel. We're not doing a remodel in our church, but if we're doing a remodeling, it's so that we can bring glory to our entire congregation, the body of the Lord. So we look out for each other. How many times should I forgive my brother? Sometimes it hurts the most when we're working against each other in the church over indifferent things. Sometimes when somebody else is committing that sin, our forgiving them and working through the word of God with them brings glory to the Lord, even if it's the 80th time we've forgiven them. And so we watch out for each other in different things. We do not judge each other's thanks to God And we don't do that because we recognize whether we are living or dying, we belong to the Lord. We are His body and He is our head. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. O Lord, our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our requests for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Gracious Lord, as recently you, you have called uh, our one of our Supreme Court Justices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to, to you and now her seat must be filled, we see our country divided and torn against itself and mudslinging happening yet again. We ask that the person that ultimately does get appointed by our Senate into the Supreme Court be somebody who will uphold your moral law to the benefit of our nation. Gracious Lord, I ask you to help me as I continue to deliberate the call to Portage, Michigan, as I continue to serve here and also in Buffalo. Lord, we thank you that you have protected our church so far from the COVID virus. And we ask that, although many of these things are in different matters, that you guide us as we make decisions in good stewardship to try to prevent that, but also that you protect us from the spread of the COVID virus. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught, with the confidence that you will hear, and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.